We'll start with a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to gather together with people that you chose from before the foundation of the earth. Uh, thank you that, uh, Lord, you have worked in the lives of the individuals who are here. Uh, you, they, they were dead. We were dead, Lord, in our sins and uh, totally focused on ourselves and uh, and really were your enemies. And you, uh, through your spirit, caused us to be born again and gave us faith as part of your eternity, eternal plan uh, to bring yourself glory. And uh, God, you gave us a love for the gospel and you united us to other believers so that we're in some awesome way, one body. And uh, you've brought us here to listen to your word. And so we ask that you would help us, God, that you would make us humble. You know how even still as believers, we struggle with pride and self-absorption and uh, easily being distracted by trivial things. And so uh, we just come before you as our great God and Savior and ask that you would use our time together today to uh, put Jesus Christ on display, to warm up our hearts, and to give us a, a greater ability to serve you and to bring you glory. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, all right, this is uh, equipping hour, and uh, we're talking discipleship. So we're getting together over the past few weeks and talking about discipleship. And one of the reasons why we've been talking so much about discipleship is because while we've got lots of dreams for the church and lots of things we would like to do, one of the most important, basic, fundamental dreams is that this will be a place where people disciple one another and uh, go out and make disciples. We want to be a church who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And of course, uh, if we're going to be a church that makes disciples, that will uh, start by knowing what we mean by discipleship. And so one of the things that we've done the past number of weeks is just talk about what it means uh, to make disciples. And I've given you a couple of different explanations. Uh, for example, here's one that we talked about. Discipleship is the God-exalting, grace-saturated art of loving another person through patiently knowing, sacrificially serving, truthfully speaking, and consistently applying the gospel in order to help them become more like Jesus. And so uh, we got that particular definition from uh, the book we're reading, Loving Messing People, and that's a, a pretty good definition. Here's another uh, that I read this week. It's a little longer, a little more vague, but I, I like it. As Christians, we believe that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only the turning point in human history, but also has supreme relevance for people's lives today. So that's starting with the message. Jesus is alive, reigning now in heaven, interceding for his people, offering real-time help through his spirit. And we habitually consider who Jesus is because we have faith that he speaks pointedly and intimately to all aspects of human experience. The Bible speaks to our joys, sorrows, sins, hopes, fears, and desires, and we endeavor to handle God's word in a way that spurs people toward greater trust, obedience, and worship of God no matter what they're facing. To do this, we consider together God's good words, we discern what wisdom looks like in light of God's good words, we explore how we as followers of Christ bring the vivaciousness and verb of his counsel into how we live 
our everyday lives. So that's a, a long definition, but I like it because it gives you the sense that this is bigger, what we're talking about, than just going through a curriculum. It's going to be uh, personal and it's going to be adaptable to uh, the particular situations and the particular people that we're working with. And uh, either of those definitions, you can see it involves some skill and thought. And uh, it's not just plug and play. And so we've been talking about a process for discipleship. In other words, how do we do this? There are uh, some, some senses in which the way that we're going to do it is going to look a little different. Um, because God has gifted you uh, differently than he's gifted me. And he's given you experiences that he hasn't given me, and that's a, that's a blessing. That's a good thing, and that's part of one of the advantages of being a church is that we, we're, we're all different. And so as we go about discipling, there, there's going to be some ways and some uh, areas in which the way we disciple is going to look a little different. And that's good, good, for, good for each other because we need different gifts and um, voices in our lives. And so it's, it's going to look a little different, and it needs to be adaptable. So obviously, the people that we disciple are going to be different. And uh, good discipleship, one of the things that is the advantage of being able to disciple uh, smaller groups or work with people individually is that you can adapt the way in which you're discipling to the person you're discipling so that they can uh, move forward more, more quickly. So uh, we're talking about a process. The process is going to be uh, personal and adaptable. That's one of the advantages uh, of discipling individuals. Uh, but at the same time, there are some basic steps that are going to be true almost every time you disciple. And so one, we've talked about the importance of building a relationship, and then two, asking questions and listening. Three, uh, trying to interpret what's going on in the person's life biblically, uh, almost to be like a mirror. So we are highly trained in the art of self-deception. And I think um, it's amazing how good we're at, we are at deceiving ourselves. And uh, maybe one of the advantages of living in this time of history is that uh, we have really uh, even unbelievers who are noting how good we are at, groups of people are at deceiving themselves. It's sometimes even shocking, right? And so one of, the, uh, one of the goals of discipleship is to be a mirror to help each other see ourselves for who we really are. So a lot of our life, part of the reason why we're having problems in our life is because we, we are only giving ourselves half of the story. And usually we're giving ourselves a distorted half of the story. And so in discipleship, we're trying to help each other see our see each other through a biblical uh, lens. Uh, fourth, uh, so we need to build a relationship, ask questions, interpret. Fourth, we've talked about serving through prayer and other means. And then fifth, uh, today, uh, we're, we're going to teach. So discipleship involves verbal instruction. How do you disciple? You teach, which is such an important part of making disciples that we're going to take a couple weeks to talk about uh, teaching. And we're going to do that by answering several questions. So um, just we're going to quickly run through several questions regarding uh, teaching in discipleship. And the first question is, is kind of an obvious question, but why must we teach? Why, does, why is it so important that we 
we teach, uh, when we disciple others? And uh, why can't we just hang out and listen? Um, why can't we just kind of be uh, sort of positive and, and smile and listen for a long time? Why do we actually need to teach to make disciples? And uh, one reason we need to teach is because it's a command. This is Matthew uh, 28, 19, and 20. Um, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And I think you could quote the end of that verse. The rest of the verse explains how do we make disciples of all the nations. Jesus says, by going and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So making disciples involves going, baptizing, and teaching. And that means we don't make disciples by just sitting around and waiting uh, but going and proclaiming the gospel, taking the initiative, and as people hear the gospel and repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ, we help them identify with the body of Christ through baptism, which is really exciting. But what I want you to notice in this text is that as disciple makers, we don't leave them there. The process isn't done. It's going, it's baptizing, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded us. And it was that last part teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us that uh, we would sometimes see neglected on the mission field. And I'm sure if it's neglected on the mission field, it's probably because it's also neglected here uh, in, in, in churches as well. Um, obviously, when a person becomes a Christian, they become a new person, and, and as a new person, they need help to learn to live their lives as new people. And so if you look at the way Paul ministered, one of the ways Paul described his relationship with those who were converted under his ministry was that of like a spiritual father with his child. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have many countless, you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so when God saves someone, the Bible says they're born again and they come into this life like a, a, a spiritual baby. And obviously, if we think about babies in general, they need a lot of help. Uh, one of the, the greatest privileges in the world is being a parent. Um, but it's not, not just a privilege, it's a responsibility. And so God brings this little child into your family to care for, to provide for, to pr protect. And if you don't do that, it's going to have devastating consequences for that child. It's, it's a huge problem when babies come into the world and they don't have uh, someone to care for them. They don't have parents. And, and when a, parent, a baby's parents die or abandon them, that's a problem because babies can't survive on their own. Babies need people who will act like parents. And the point is the same is true spiritually. Um, one of the things that we often felt like as, as a pastor overseas is that, man, the biggest need is almost like reparenting. <laughs> so like you'd meet all these people who are 35 and maybe had been Christians for a long time, but they never got that help at the beginning to really um, help them grow and mature. We need people who will share the gospel with us, but not only who will share the gospel with us, but also who will seek to father us the way Paul did the Corinthians. And uh, so we need people who feel a responsibility to help us mature. And uh, when we look at Paul's relationship with the people he shared the gospel with, he felt a strong responsibility for not only telling them about Jesus, but helping them know how to grow up towards maturity. 
And uh, if you want an illustration of how deeply Paul felt about this responsibility, you, as a father, you need to think of a mother. <laughs> um, it's funny because in Galatians chapter 4, 19, Paul uh, uses this image to describe how committed he was to believers' spiritual growth. He says in Galatians 4.19, it's always good to be made up much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm with you, my little children, for whom I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And so Paul was a spiritual father who felt like a mother in labor about the Galatians. And, it, and it's like he didn't see the delivery as being complete until um, they were mature in Christ. And I wonder if you can imagine feeling that way about someone else's spiritual growth. Um, where you're like, this is like labor. <laughs> um, I'm so committed to their spiritual growth that I'm like a mother in labor. I'm like a father with a child. And, um, and people need that. People need others who are this committed to their understanding and application of God's worth word in their lives. Um, what will happen if you leave a, ba- a human baby to grow up on their own? Not only will it be in physical danger, but if it survives somehow, it's going to be so immature if, if it's just left to figure things out on its own. And the same is true with spiritual babies. They need instruction. That's how they grow. And so one of the saddest things in life, I think, have, has to be like um, people who should be spiritual adults who are basically walking around wearing spiritual nappies or diapers. Um, you're like, wow, man, you've like been a Christian for 30 years. Time to get the diaper off. Like We need to, to, need to move on. And um, one of the reasons that happens is because they don't have people in their life who will help them mature. That's part of why uh, we have, have, have a church. Um, Paul, gave, Paul says, God gave pastors and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we may no longer be children. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And so how do we keep from continually being children? How do we grow up? It's through believers speaking the truth to each other in love. And um, so we need people who will teach us. That's the point. We could say it another way. You need to be taught. (laughs) And that probably messes with us as Americans. I think that's maybe our problem on this side is like we are supposed to be experts in everything right away. And we're so confident that we uh, know everything that we keep the door closed to our house. You know, nobody can come in and actually do some actual instruction. And so uh, we making disciples involves teaching. It's normal to need to be taught, and it's normal for the church to be a place that teaches, where we help babies grow up into adulthood. Making disciples involves teaching. It's a command. We have to teach. This is how Christian maturity takes place, us speaking the truth to one another in love. If we're not doing that, then we're, we're, we're not going to really be growing. And one of the challenges in doing that is that uh, a lot of us don't let people into our lives where we actually need to be taught. So sometimes we've got rooms in our spiritual houses, you know, that we keep locked. So when people come over, they can teach us on all these things, but the stuff that we actually need to be taught on, we keep that door pretty locked. And so as a result, we stay uh, really immature. Uh, Now, 
who exactly is to do this teaching? Why do we need to teach? Why can't we just listen? Because it's a command, because it's the normal way that we grow. Who's to do this teaching? Um, because obviously uh, there's a unique kind of role that leaders of the church play in the teaching process. And so uh, uh, God has given men to the church who are gifted in teaching, and the church is supposed to recognize these men and support these men so they can use the, their gifts for the good of the body. Um, Romans 12, 6 through 8, Paul acknowledges this. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we're not all the same, and we all have different gifts that God gave us, and we should be using the particular gifts God gave us, and teaching is one of those gifts. And you may not be as gifted in teaching as someone else. It's true. But here's the thing. This is what I wanted to get to. Even if you don't have the gift of teaching, every single one of you needs to, at some level, learn to be able to communicate truth to the people you're discipling so they can apply it to their lives. Not all of us have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to evangelize. Not all of us have the gift of mercy, but we're all called to show mercy. And not all of us have the gift of teaching, but we all have the responsibility to teach the people we're discipling. And so if you're not able to do that, you need to learn how to do that. There's absolutely no way that a few men can do all the teaching that is needed for believers to grow and mature. Especially since so much of the instruction we need gets so specific that it's kind of almost impossible to do that from a pulpit, you know, for a, a bunch of people that are coming. So much of uh, the help we need is connecting the dots. And so we need a whole church that is able to communicate the truth if we're going to grow healthily. Um, we all have a role to play in this. And again, you see that in Ephesians 4. Paul says God gave pastors and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we can all speak the truth in love, so that we can grow into the people God wants us to be. Romans 15, 14, if you, if you look there or at least write it down, Paul says to the Roman believers, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And so we need to approach a teaching humbly and to admit uh, we don't know what we don't know and, and be honest about what we do know. We don't have to pretend like um, we're experts in areas that we're not uh, experts. But at the same time, if we're believers, we have a responsibility to teach one another, and it is not honoring to God to try to avoid that responsibility. So a father in a home, for example, who's like, well, I just am not a good teacher. I can't, I can't lead family devotions. Wrong. <laughs> you know, maybe you aren't a good teacher. That part could be true. But this is a responsibility God gave you, so we've got to figure it out. Making disciples wasn't a command just for just like a couple guys. It's a command for the whole church, and it involves teaching. And so it's, we may not, we, we have to be honest and sober-minded about the gifts God gave us, but it's not right for us to be like, well, that's just not my thing. No, 
You need to learn to be able to communicate truth so that others can apply the word of God to, to their lives. Uh, obviously, there's a balance. Not everyone's gifted to be set apart as an official teacher. You should be careful before you take that position because of the accountability that comes along with it. But at the same time, like it or not, all Christians are called to disciple, and that means they're called to teach, at least informally, um, because discipleship involves teaching. Paul uh, shows us that balance in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 14. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly because of their work. Which shows us that Paul has a place for teachers in the church who are paid to teach and admonish. But at the same time, he goes on to say in verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. In other words, he's saying, don't think because you have these men who are uniquely gifted to teach, that means you can leave all the work to them. But brothers, you get involved in relationships in which you're helping people mature spiritually. There, there's more to making disciples than just hanging out and being nice. You're wanting, you're needing to teach the people you're discipling, to speak the truth in love, to instruct and admonish. Now, it's probably important as we think about teaching, since we need to do it, that we also ask the question or answer the question, what does it mean to teach? So why do we need to teach? It's a command. Who should teach? We have gifted teachers, but we also have, all of us have a responsibility. What do we mean when we talk about teaching? And uh, we need to answer that question because when we use the word teach, it, it can mean different things to different people. And so different images come into your mind when I say the word teach. Some people think, you know, guru. Other people think uh, school. Other people think coach. But there are at least two different kinds of teaching that I'm convinced you need to pursue to become better at teaching others and discipling others. First, there's a formal kind of instruction. And by formal, I don't mean that you wear a nice outfit and like a tie when you do it, but I mean that you begin with the Bible and you intentionally and deliberately take someone through a certain body of truth that they need to know and understand to live the Christian life. And then second, there's a more informal kind of teaching. And so this is where you start with the person and what's going on in their life, and you help them learn to think and apply the Bible to their world and to the specific kinds of things that are going on in their lives. And so the second kind of teaching, the informal kind of teaching, it almost seems like there are more commands actually for us as members of the church to be doing that kind of instructing with the people we're discipling as we look at the New Testament. And because it's such an important part of discipleship, we're going to take a whole Sunday to, to talk about informal teaching as we go into the new year. But this uh, first kind of teaching is so important um, that we're going to talk about it now. It's, it's important that we make systematic and specific intentional teaching of certain truths an integral part of our discipleship. And so here's what's happening from the time you're birth. There's something that from the time you were born. You are being catechized. So that's a funny word, catechized, but it just means you're being trained in a, a body of truth. But you're not, unfortunately, you're not being trained by the church usually or by uh, parents unless you're really blessed and you're actually being catechized by the world. So the world is catechizing you, teaching you from the time you're born 
a certain body of truths, how you are to think and how you are to live. They're giving you, sometimes I'll say they're giving you like a script, basically, for a play that you're supposed to be in. And um, as Christians, part of what our responsibility, we have a completely different script. You know, we have the real script of what God's doing in the world. And so our responsibility is to teach truths that uh, people need to know in order to live their life in a way that matches up with the gospel. And so there are certain fundamental truths that every Christian needs to have taught to them and explained to them so they can continue to move forward in their relationship with God and their life in Christ. And I can't tell you how often it's just, it's, it's so often in counseling, intense counseling, what you find is you assume people know those truths and they don't. And they've been Christians for a long time and they don't really know those truths. Sometimes what will happen is they know the words, but then you just poke on it and they don't actually know the truth. So that if you, a good example of this would be if you don't know how to apply a truth, you don't really know the truth. So, you know, you can tell me, don't lie, but if you're going out and exaggerating and you don't see the connection, if you're going out and making promises and you're not keeping those promises, then you don't actually know what the Bible means by don't lie. Even if you could, even if you could tell me technically what the word lie means. Same thing with the gospel. If you can tell me sort of the gospel, a lot of people can't do that. It's amazing how often people don't really understand justification by faith alone. That is like, that's like, it's just you cannot assume that when you're counseling and discipling. It's shocking how often people don't understand justification by faith alone, really, just even just the doctrine. But then go further, uh, very often people who can say the words of justification by faith alone, you'll find they're living their life. Uh, they, they don't understand how to apply that doctrine to the way they live their life. And uh, so uh, they'll constantly be living justification by works instead of justification by faith alone. Even, even uh, people you would think would know better. And so one of the things that we have to do as, as Christians in our discipleship is provide a systematic, intentional teaching of these fundamental truths so that people can, uh, people can move forward as Christians. Um, it's kind of like with children, obviously. There are basics they need to learn in kindergarten if they're going to move forward to grade one, and if they don't understand those concepts, they're not going to be able to learn what they need in the next grade, and there's a certain sense in which that is true spiritually as well. Uh, we grow up being told certain things and believing certain things, and we, when we become Christians, there's so much that we don't know or understand or that we've figured wrong and we need someone in our lives who will teach us the basics, and we need to be that person in other people's lives, helping them sort through what's true and uh, what's not. And that the early church, the way they did this was through catechesis, which is a fancy-sounding word, but it's not really complicated. It's just where the church would grab hold of the responsibility to systematically instruct and ground people in fundamental doctrines of the faith. I actually kind of think this would be fun to start doing down the line in some of our elders' visits is to work through some Q&A basic catechesis as we come over to visit uh, families. But we should certainly also learn how to do that in our 
everyday discipleship. What, what happens often is you meet people who are sure they're Christians. They'll say they've been Christians for years. You ask them simple questions, and what they say is a mix of truth and error, and this is dangerous for them. Um, and it's part of why they stay children so long, because they don't have the instruction they need to move forward and understand more about the Christian faith. And uh, you can see this happened even not just in the early church after the New Testament, but it actually happened in the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, talks about this systematic kind of training. Paul says, For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. It's almost like there's a chain there where Paul receives instruction in the most important doctrines, then he delivers it to the Corinthians, who hopefully deliver it to others. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, same pattern. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. Jesus was Paul's systematic theology teacher, and then Paul took that teaching and delivered it on to others as part of his discipling ministry. 2 Timothy 2.2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Paul learned truth and delivered it to Timothy, who then entrusted it to faithful men who would teach it to others. So Christianity is not just a doing religion. It's based on certain truths, certain realities, and if you don't understand or believe those, you'll never understand how God wants you to act or anything else about the Christian life. And that's why it's so essential that as disciplers, we help the people we're discipling understand what Scripture teaches in a systematic and orderly way. And uh, the next question that we need to ask then, we've talked about uh, why we should teach, who should teach, uh, what do we mean by teach. Uh, the next question we need to ask is uh, what exactly, if we're going to engage in this kind of systematic teaching of, of Scripture, what is it? that we should make sure to teach. And uh, that's going to be fun, and we'll do that um, next time.